Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. I have a conversation with a collector that matters. I got my man, Brad. You know him at B Sports on IG. He is the organizer of one of the fastest growing shows here in our hobby, a show that resides in the great state of Indiana, Card Fest, the Shipshawana show you might know it as. He has another show coming up in March. He's a guy I've wanted to talk to for quite some time. Have him on. Talk a little Colts football. He's a Colts fan. Talk about the show. Talk about the growth. A lot of good info and insights in this one. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Follow me across all of those social channels at Stacking Slabs. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I am excited for this conversation. I am joined by Brad. You might know Brad at B Sports on Instagram. Brad also runs a show here in the great state of Indiana, Card Fest. And I know a lot of people that I've connected with through the past year or so have been talking about this show, people saying, hey, you're in Indiana, you need to get up there. And I just saw uh, Brad make the announcement of the March show. We're going to talk about the details of that, get into some of his collecting and a bunch of other topics. But Brad, without further ado, how are you? I am amazing, man. Thanks for so much uh, for having me on the the podcast. I My day job, I travel a lot for work. And so I'm always looking for content on the hobby because that's all we really want to do, right? Is find content on the hobby and not really do our day jobs. But I often uh, go to Spotify and have you on in the car. So it's really cool uh, for me to be on. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Let's get it. Before we get into the collecting, the card stuff, it's not often that I get to uh, bring on someone who shares in my uh, passion for my favorite football team. So yes, listeners, we're going to take a second to talk a little Indianapolis Colts football. Um, I will say things were uh, doom and gloom at the beginning of the season, but we're kind of accustomed to that as Colts fans. And then all of a sudden, after this weekend where we were on by, we have slid into the wild card picture. And on the other side of this episode, we will be playing on Saturday night against our arch rivals, the evil, no good New England Patriots. I would imagine Lucas Oil will be rocking, unlike I can ever remember. Brad, I know you're a big Colts fan. Like, what do you have to say about this season so far? Yeah, you know, just. I think any Indianapolis Colts fan just always says, why, why do we have to start so slowly? I mean, it goes all the way back to the Andrew Luck uh, era. We just can't get out of the gates uh, early in the season. Um, I don't have the stat in front of me, but season openers, have we dropped a hundred in a row? It it feels like. Uh, So my overall take on the season is, man, I wish we would have started faster. Wish we could have held on at Baltimore. Wish things could have been different in the second game versus the Titans. Those, those games come to mind as ones that could be real separators for us. And we let slip away, but thankful, right? Like we get to be in the hunt 
uh, we're in the hunt. Not the easiest schedule with um, the four games we have remaining with the Pats. We've got to go to Arizona. Uh, we have to play Las Vegas, and and then we get to finish up with the Jags. So just hopeful that we get to see some playoff football in Indianapolis and hopeful for 2022 that maybe we can get off to even two and two through the first four games would be a nice start for us. We always have to, we always have to dig that hole, but you know, it's an absolute joy to watch Jonathan Taylor play the game of football. I mean, that's my overall take in the season uh, is just that that's a special human and, and we're blessed in Indianapolis to get to watch however long this lasts running backs don't often last forever, but just, Truly blessed to watch that guy play football. Yeah, and I, I echo most of what you said, but yeah, I think the Jonathan Taylor element on this year has been something special. And to have an individual who every time he touches the ball, he can end up in the end zone no matter where you're at on the field has been um, fun to watch. I think as Colts fans, there have been times where we have said, why aren't we just giving Jonathan Taylor the ball on every <laughs> on every play. Um, but I think that's fun emerging superstar. If not, I think we could already say star. And I will say too the other, a couple other things. And I'd love your reaction on this is I think, you know, we all knew when we, we got Carson Wentz that there was a lot of opinions already made up based on the last picture people saw of Carson Wentz in the NFL was it, which wasn't super favorable, but when the, deal got done. I think I was optimistic based on what I had seen previous to that year. And I think so much of football is like, yes, the quarterback matters, but their surrounding pieces need to be in place. So I think, you know, numbers don't lie. Carson has had a solid year, not turning the ball over. Um, what, what is your, I know, I know, and I like following your page because I think you kind of keep Andrew Luck alive a little bit. And I love to see that. I'm a big Luck guy too. Um, what what have you uh, seen out of Wentz this year? And just like, what's your overall opinion on him as a quarterback? Yeah, you know, um, and just a little Andrew Luck side note, uh, that, that guy was not only an amazing football player, he's an amazing human. Like I, we go to Colts camp, we used to, when it was in Anderson, Indiana, and that guy would just stand out there, sign autographs, was the sweetest guy you're ever going to meet. So my, my, my Andrew Luck man crush it even extends off the football field into uh, just how well-treated people around here. I think he still lives, you probably know better than me, but I think he still lives there on the circle or, or somewhere close. But um, as far as Wentz goes, you know, I'm just, I guess the word, just, just overall happy with it. You know, I'm not through the roof about it. Uh, I think he's in a, the perfect place for him. I think with Reich, I think with the running game, these is supported. What I've learned about Carson is you don't want to put too much on his plate. It feels like, but he can deliver. I mean, I think uh, I don't want anyone to turn off the podcast, but I think he's a guy that could take you to a Super Bowl if he had the right team around you. And I think he's a guy that can get you there. Is this our year? Probably not, but I'm happy. I mean, there's, probably 16, 17 other teams in the league that would like that proficiency at quarterback. So am I Andrew Luck man crushing? Am I Peyton Manning? You know, no, not even close to that, but I'm happy to have him in town. And I, I think he's overall just doing a nice job. And uh, I, like I said, I just think you've got to keep him in a certain construct because <laughs> the rails can come off. He can get injured when he tries to do too much. So if we can avoid left-handed passes and uh, injuries, 
I'm all for Carson Wentz. I'm, I'm on the Carson Wentz bandwagon. I hope we could tune into this episode later this year and be excited about some of those things you said. And I agree. I think he's someone who can take you far. He's athletic. Um, and it's, it is about having the right team around him. And I promise everybody we'll get off the Colts train, but this is, this is my show and I got to talk Colts with someone <laughs> who likes the Colts. So bear with me for a minute. In closing about the Colts this season, I think the thing that stands out to me is the takeaways on the defensive side of the ball and how there's just a lot of guys that are ball hawks. And I think you look at a guy like Kenny Moore and you know anyone who's out there listening or watching Hard Knocks on a, a weekly basis, I think you can you you grow an appreciation for a guy like a Kenny Moore or a guy like a Darius Leonard. So just so everyone knows, the defense necessarily hasn't been the shining star for the Colts in our history, but there have been some years here and there, but I don't know. I put this defense up against a lot and I don't know. I can't remember any defense that we've had that that has been as opportunistic as this one. What, what are your thoughts on the defense so far this year? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll start on the negative side of things and I'll get positive real quick. The negative side is I worry about the Eberflus cover two system being one that when you got to play really good teams and really good quarterbacks, that's going to hold up. You know, I'm much, I wish we played Baltimore's, you know, match them up at the the line or, uh, you know, just sort of that rugged defense and really jam receivers off the line. But on the positive side, the takeaways have been tremendous. I mean, Darius Leonard is, um, is just, I've never seen anything like that where you can almost count on one turnover a game and, and the athleticism that takes to punch the ball out like he does. I mean, if I tried something like that, it, it would end in a very embarrassing moment. So Kenny Moore may be the most underrated slot corner in the whole entire league. Um, and Rocky has seen like secretly flying under the radar as a serviceable cornerback when we all gave up on him is, is sort of a hidden secret. Uh, Xavier Rhodes <laughs> game to game, right? Like sometimes you're like, yeah, Xavier Rhodes. Other times you're like, oh boy, uh, he's struggling today. So you know, huge DeForest Buckner fan. I mean, the double teams he commands, you know, I think we're a couple pass rushers away. Hopefully Quiddy Pay can kind of fill that role at some point. He doesn't totally strike me as a guy that's going to be a dominator, but maybe a good second rusher. But um, yeah, I guess that the pass rush and, and holding up against the good quarterbacks, the concern, but I mean, you can't complain right now, as long as they keep the turnovers going, I think they're 29 or 30 so far this year. So um pretty happy on that side of the ball. Uh, oh, go into every game against a good quarterback concern, but happy overall. It is Colts Patriots week here in Indianapolis. And so thank you everyone for listening to a couple Colts fans <laughs> talk about our team for a little bit. Now let's Brad, before we talk about the show and what you're doing there, maybe let's get into uh, your collecting. I think when I look at your page and I see you post, it hits my heart because of most of the cards that you're posting are of Colts or of Pacers, um, which is kind of in my collecting zone. I know you, you have a family and you collect with your family. So maybe talk a little bit about just maybe you getting back into the hobby when you did and kind of what your whole process has been and um, collecting with your kids. Yeah, man. What a journey, right? Like, I think everyone goes through that. You get back in the hobby. For us, it was late 2014, early 2015. So in Colts years, you're talking Dante Moncrief, you're talking Philip Dorsett, uh, not the best ROI investments I probably have ever made. But the the whole first year or two in 2014, 15 was just 
figuring out what is this? Like there was no Panini when I was collecting Ryan Sandberg in 1987. Like it was just all tops. So figuring out what Panini is, figuring out, okay, there's, you know, there's jerseys on cards now and some are game worn, some are event worn. So there was just that whole learning process. I'd like to have a lot of that money back, probably was buying the wrong things, but I was having a ball. And my son was young at the time. He's 14 now, but he was, you know, seven or eight back then. And he was really enjoying it. So that's really, you know, all that matters, money well spent that way. But I would say the last three or four years, just a a maturity in my collecting, right? Like definitely have gotten into quality over quantity. To me, when I first got into this, I wanted to be the Jimmy Mahan Kentucky basketball cards of Colts cards. I wanted to have a basement that just was covered in Colts cards. And that's just not me anymore. Right now, I'm just really focusing on like braille pieces. I want I want 10 amazing cards, not 100 okay cards, if that makes sense. And that's an expensive endeavor. But I do a lot of trading up into cards. Sometimes I have to give away two cards I really love to get a card that I think is a grail card for me. Um, so yeah, just really focusing on that. Like right now I have, what's on my mind is I have a nine Kaboom 2018 Manning. I'd like to get a 10. There's a pretty big price jump in between there. So I'm trying to make some moves to figure out how do I get into that 10. Um, so yeah, and it's really been fun with my son. He's actually transitioned a little bit to sneakers. I think that's probably pretty natural. He really loves shoes a little more than cards right now, but he still is very interested in things that come in the mail. And, uh, you know, we've been to about four Nats, I think, in the last five years. I think the only one we missed was COVID. And he likes to go to those. He likes to walk the show. And he really enjoys uh, the relationships. You know, he likes seeing, uh, we've become really good friends with Card Collector too, Ryan Johnson over the years. And he's, you know, that's you, that's the same as like meeting, you know, one of the pacers for him to, to see Ryan. And, um, and so we really enjoy the hobby, but probably more these days, less about quantity, more about relationships and finding those braille pieces that we're looking for. When, when did your um, evolution come when you realized like, I don't want a bunch of these small cards, but what really I am after are these bigger cards, more expensive cards. When did that like mind shift happen for you? I honestly think, and it's the gentleman we've talked about already, but I think the Andrew Luck retirement, you know, and I had his, his contenders rookie ticket. I had his prism rookie auto. Um, so those were bigger cards, but I also had a lot of, you know, that 80 to $120 stuff, which is, which is completely fine. I don't want to come across as a card snob at all. Like collect what you love, whatever, whatever makes you happy. But I was finding, I was spending more money on those 80 to $120 cumulative than maybe a $500 card, right? Like you have $2,000 and $100 cards rather than owning one $500 card that makes you content. And so that's really the process when I go to card shows now is can I find a card there that I like better than my five or six Grail cards? And um, usually there's, there's a lot of times I'll walk out of the show without buying anything because I just didn't see it that day. And that's good. That's fine. I saved money. I had fun. I talked to people. But really, right around when Andrew retired and a lot of my collection just tanked, <laughs> I was like, you know, let's let's kind of rethink this a little bit. We all go through those evolutions. You see, you you uh, mentioned uh, Ryan Card Collector too. I've definitely he's he watching his channel. He's been someone that has mentioned your show. I know you guys have built a relationship. I think it's funny you mentioned that about your son and just like viewing Ryan in the specific light. I think you watch any of his videos and there are a lot of young kids who look up to Ryan just based on the content that he's creating and his process running his own business. 
let's maybe talk about relationships and maybe you can maybe start with Ryan, but then just get into whatever uh, you want to talk about, but just like how important has a relationship with a guy like Ryan and other people been to kind of your building out this show into what it is today? Oh, I mean, it's, it's really been huge. I mean, in the sense that, uh, you know, with Ryan specifically, uh, when I had my first show, my first two shows, he wasn't able to make it, you know, that, uh, I give him a hard time. He keeps quite a schedule, that guy. And he just had, you know, conflicting things. Uh, he's probably in New Jersey or Florida or somewhere. So he couldn't make the first two. And, uh, once he made that third one, right, we were able to get two shows under our belt and really figure out who we were, how we wanted to do it, what worked, what didn't work. And I always say he was, you know, the gasoline on the fire, right? Like we had a really nice fire going after those first two shows. But once he comes and drops a video and shows people what this show is actually about, I think what his videos do for our show is they create like that FOMO, right? Like that fear of missing out on the next one because he's walking around, he's seeing these high level cards, he's seeing these amazing dollar boxes, he's showing everyone. It's like the best you know, five minute, 10 minute commercial about your show that you can have someone that loves the hobby talking about your show. And, and what I always say about Ryan is, you know, there's no, there's no perfect human, but that guy does an amazing job of, you know, I see off the camera, kids walk up to him, adults walk up to him with their picture. Like there's never a no, right? Like he always does it. He always does it with a smile. Um, Some people will say, Hey, I'll do a deal with you, but I want to do it off camera. And it's like, you know, instantly turn camera off. Let's do this deal. You know? So just a good human. Him and I go all the way back to uh, when he was just out there hustling and really just trying to flip deals. Anything I didn't want in a break, I would kind of make a dollar box out of. And, you know, I'd sell him $100 worth of cards for 60 bucks. And so that goes all the way back years and years. But he has been amazing to the show. And I always check in with him and, and really never know until about a week or two before the show starts if he can make it. But I always just say, you know, you've got two tables until you tell me you're not coming. Right. Like I always hold to, we've been blessed to sell out all of our shows, but he's, he's a guy that just, he's going to have shows at the front of the room and, and he just brings that much energy and put uh, promotion to it. But I guess another, some, some of the other guys that I just really like to reach out to is uh, Andy down at ball card exchange, man, if I need to, he can't make it to the show cause he doesn't do many shows. He has a family and he's a very busy shop, but he's a guy I can bend the ear of and he just gives solid, solid advice. Ryan Bannister at RBI crew. I mean, that dude is an amazing human who uh, he tells me he's going to come up. Probably will never, probably won't set up. That's a long haul for him, but wants to come and shop the show. He would have to do that. Right. But he wants to come up and do that and always goes out of his way to say it. Congratulate us. And man, I, I don't want to get too far off track, but you know, sometimes you see these guys out here creating content. They're using the hobby to create content. They're not lifting the hobby up. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Hopefully to your listener, it does. Those are guys that I want to point people to and say, look how what they're doing with their shops and, and how they're doing it. Don't get so caught up into slick production. Look at the guys that like know this business inside and out and, and kind of model what you're trying to do after them. So I've been very blessed with that. And then not to get too long-winded, but I have guys at my show I call my day ones. When I started this show, Labor Day of 2020, I literally handpicked like the first 20 dealers. And then I told those 20 dealers, invite like your best friend that's in the cards. It's an awesome dude because I wanted kindness to be a huge part of my show. I can't make sure everyone is every dealer at my show is nice. It's just impossible. But I think when you come to our show, there's such a vibe of kindness and love of the hobby that it's, it's infectious. And I purposely tried to set out that way because there's nothing worse than going up to a table and having a guy that's just like miserable to deal with. Right. 
So the, uh, my day one guys, I call them, we're even working on a t-shirt right now uh, that talks about our day ones. And that's a slogan we use because uh, those guys helped me build that show. Guys like Jason Galeski and Brad Hollister. Um, they all, Brad or Jason Galeski Sports Card Machines sponsors the trade night that we have now before the show. Um, so anyways, those relationships mean more to me now than the cards. I mean, the cards are, are, are the point, but the relationships are what really matters now because uh, just super, super loyal guys. My favorite thing in the world is when someone defends the show and I'm not even around. Like they're like, no, you can't say that about the Shipshawana show. That's not true. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, I just love that, the, the vibe we have that way. So yeah, not to go too far into it, but um, the relationships, just like in anything are, are what really matters. There's, there's so much you said there, and I'm going to just pick at a couple things. Um, I think the one thing that stands out to me, and I agree, and I think you said it and you hinted like if the listeners understand, I think everybody in the hobby understands that there are people create content, people have platforms, but there is like a differentiation where some people are doing it for themselves and their own personal gain and other individuals might benefit from it, but at the end of the day, like their motive is to lift up and elevate kind of the hobby and the greater good because like a Ryan Johnson, if he does a video at the ship Shawana show, that is going to put more eyeballs on that show. That's going to bring in more people. It's going to have more transactions, more opportunities to build relationships. And like the more we can all do that, I think the, the more the hobby grows. So that stands out to me. Like maybe someone who's listening and like maybe new to the hobby, like what are some things or signals that you might look to if you're viewing content from someone else on like, yeah, this, this, this person is creating and this is good. This is for like the benefit of the hobby and this other stuff is maybe not so good. This is the benefit of like someone's own personal gain. Like how would you advise someone like coming in new to the hobby to like, monitor uh what like is good con- obviously they all have their own opinion and they can make the decisions for themselves but like what are some of the things you'd point to yeah and it's it's completely okay to monetize your business right like it's completely okay if ryan comes to my show buys deals that he flips for double the money makes amazing content that somehow monetizes it through youtube and lifts up our show there's nothing wrong with making money but I would just say anything where you have to pay a fee to get like the best advice I've gotten in this hobby. People with experience just gladly told me or gladly educated me on it. Like I would seek out free advice from people that have been doing this a long time. We get excited. We want to pay like a membership to get something. And I'm not, when I say that, I'm not talking about hard ladder or something like that, a, a technology. I'm talking about more pay for advice, pay for investment kind of thing. Like I would just stay away from that. There's just too many good people that will tell you that stuff for free to spend a certain fee on it. And, and so that's what I would watch for is just, you know, could I get this same education by befriending or asking questions of someone that, you know, I respect and it'll take a while to fill that out. Right. Like you can't hardly walk onto Instagram and be like, Oh, these are, these are the good guys. And these are the bad guys. And there's really no probably bad guys. It's probably too strong of a word, but there's certainly really good guys that will teach you a lot about this hobby. Um, I have a friend, Justin, he's from originally from Australia. He's in Austin. Now I don't know if he's been on the show charger. I think it's charger 21 cards. I've met, I've met Justin in Dallas. Great dude. Like, 
that dude, him and I walk Nats together every year. And he taught me in Nats one year more about 90s basketball inserts. When I was collecting modern and chasing, you know, Philip Dorsett and, and wide receivers and things that don't last a lot of times in the hobby, he was showing me, right, like hours at a time, like, oh, here's this Jordan that's rare and, and educating me. Like, just look for opportunities like that where you just find good guys that want, they, they have an enjoyment to teach you about the hobby rather than charging a fee to do it, if that makes sense. And I don't want to beat that up too much because in every facet of this hobby, there's guys doing it the right way, even if they're charging a fee. Totally. All very good points. I love what you have to say there. Let's dig into the show it's, itself. I think when you say ship Shawana, people, <laughs> maybe a, a couple of years ago, people might not have thought of the hobby, but now I think through Kindness, maybe good experiences, relationships. This word of mouth train is moving where this is becoming a show in the Midwest that people want to attend. People, it, it took me a couple, few times. And now I think uh, this November show, your last show, it was in November, correct? Yep. I, I got reached out to a few times by a few people and I was in the middle just having a kid and I was like, I can't make it. But everyone was like, Oh, the next time, next time. And like, that's when I took note. I was like, you know what? I need to make it up to this show. Cause there's been so many people that I respect in the hobby who all have glowing things to say about it, which is great. We're going to get into the show that coming up and I want to get details on that. So all the listeners can know where to go and all that fun stuff. But maybe like, let's start here. Like how, and I look at the venue and I have not, not quite sure. It's so Indiana in a way, but I'm not sure I've, I've seen anything like it from a card show perspective. I'd love to know, like, what's the origin story? How did this thing get kicked off the ground? Like you're the one putting it on, like, what was the process to bring it to life? Yeah. You know, kind of just out of nowhere, you know, it was never my childhood dream to have a card show. Uh, it, it seemed to, you know, I grew up, fairly lower middle class, right? Like that wouldn't have crossed my mind. I would be the guy going to the show, not the guy hosting the show. But, um, you know, we got in the hobby 2014, 2015, summer of 2020. All right. So picture it, COVID absolute bubble is at its height. And I'm over in Elkhart, Indiana, which is about 45 minutes to an hour away from Shipshawana. And I'm at this card show and it's a uh, great guys put it on great show. They haven't had one in a long time, but it's a great show. I in no way want to put it down, but it had no air conditioning middle of July, 95 degrees, no air conditioning, no restrooms. And it was packed. And I just thought to myself, like, if you can get this many people <laughs> to come <laughs> and look at cards in a, you know, like an abandoned shopping mall with 95 degree weather, no air conditioning, no bathrooms. What could you do if you like did this at a whole nother level? And I'm blessed to have a father-in-law that um, lives in Shipshawana, Indiana. He has um, owned the Shipshawana Flea Market since 1984. Shipshawana Flea Market was is one maybe even 1981. I'll have to ask him. I should know that off the top of my head. But he's owned this flea market. It's the largest one in the Midwest, so it's a pretty big deal for people that live in Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, they know that flea market, they've driven to it, their mom, their, their dad probably drugged them over to it as a kid. But it's, I always say like the Disneyland of flea markets, right? Like it's super clean, concession stands everywhere, food trucks and incredible stuff to look at. And uh, I just got to think of myself after I left that Elkhart show, sweating through my shirt, <laughs> 
like, man, I have incredible facilities because he owns some buildings, these, these big buildings that you would do uh, weddings in or, you know, just these huge, uh, these bigger little convention centers. And I just thought I have the perfect space for this air conditioned, plenty of bathroom space. We need actually need now that we've gotten bigger, but we just had a really good venue for it. So I literally, I was going over to their house in Shipshawana that day from the Elkhart. And I just, I'm going to ask him like, could I throw a show in Shipshawana and will you make it? Because these are expensive buildings. These are these. That's why I always tell people if you're starting a show, at least in my case, the number one cost you have is the building. If you can find the best, you know, well, they always say location, 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 find the best possible building you can that will provide the tables and chairs so you don't have to rent them at the best possible price. That's the genesis of a good show that you can actually try to break even on in the early days and then try to make money later on. So anyways, I went to him and I just said, you know, I'd like to like to use one of your buildings. I think Carson and I and Gabby, my daughter, I think we can pull this off and, and have a nice show. And he is the one I'll give him credit. He goes, yeah, you can do it. When are you thinking about doing it? And I said, well, it's July. I would like to about six weeks to promote it, but I don't want to do it Labor Day weekend. He goes, no, that's exactly when you do it. And I'm like, people are not coming to a card show on Labor Day weekend, he goes, we park five, six, 7,000 cars on Labor Day at this flea market. You'll be right across the street. People will have an excuse. These guys will have an excuse to come up, drop their wife off at the flea market and come over to your show. So we did it, man. We, we promoted the heck out of that first show in Labor Day 2020. And uh, the crazy part is I got complete after I got the table set up the night before I got completely ill. So my son and my daughter had to run the first show for me. Like I would peek my head out and take a look, but I was really out of it. I was ended up going to the emergency room two days later with a, some sort of infection. But um, so anyways, long story short, it started there, you know, and, and we did that first show. We only had about 60 tables and all my day one guys, you know, I did go around to different shows, ask for permission from the promoters to ask my favorite vendors to come. And I got my favorite vendors to come because I thought if the problem with Ship Shawana is, it's an hour, at least an hour from everything. It is out in the middle of nowhere. Ryan will say that in his videos. We're on the Michigan-Indiana line. And so it was really, that was my number one concern. Will people drive to Shipshawana? For a guy like you and Indy, you know, you've got four hours probably in to come in to see me. Let's make it worth it. So I did handpick the dealers. They brought some friends. 60 Tables had a great show. Did a second show. I thought I, I wanted to do it monthly because I just love doing it. Had a second show and it was a little flat, like it wasn't quite as good as the first show. And that's where I learned for us, we have to be a quarterly show. So instead of the Shipshawana Card Show, I changed it to the Shipshawana Card Fest. And we're doing a quarterly with a fifth show sprinkled in somewhere along the way, because I really want these to be events where people come in the night before. So we added the trade night where now we moved across uh the yard, I will say, from the hotel that we used to be in to a 30,000 square foot building. We jam 170 tables into the main floor of it. And uh, we really tried just to make it like a really big deal. But the turning point was the third show. The third show was the last one we did in the 7,000 foot square foot uh, convention area that the hotel had. Ryan came to it. And we were averaging a really nice crowd, had really nice cards there. But with him dropping that video, and then us, me and my day ones, and Ryan again coming back in February to the new building, the 30,000 square foot building, and tripling the table count is when things just went bananas. And you got a picture too, right? February 2021. I mean, people would buy anything. There were people just walking around buying out tables because you could not lose money on cards. And 
that could be a whole different conversation on how I've seen things change from people's buying habits at these shows. Crowds get bigger. Sometimes the money doesn't flow as freely though. But yeah, that's sort of the genesis of how it started, what my mindset was. And it's kind of a perfect storm, right? Like there was a need for it. The hobby was blowing up. I had a beautiful venue and I think we did an amazing job promoting it. You put that, that gasoline of a card collector two video, you have that base there with those day one dealers. And it's just turned into a really fun and, and special thing. And the thing our families feels truly blessed by. That's amazing. Is there, um, there's a lot of learnings, learnings that you shared in there as you've progressed, but is there anything that stands out to you from like an attendee perspective on like getting several of these shows under your belt, like things that you've observed that like attendees need look for um, that you've observed just as being the organizer that you have maybe shifted or changed as these shows have gone on? Yeah, I would say the number one thing for us. Now, if you're doing the show in Fishers, Indiana, you know, I love that show down there, Fort Wayne, Indiana, maybe not big of a deal. But the thing I've learned is people don't want to leave the show before they want to leave the show. (laughs) So what I mean by that is they don't want to go to Jimmy Johnson, come back. If they leave, they might not come back and they really don't want to leave. So what they end up doing is being starving by the time they leave the show after four or five hours. So our addition of adding the food trucks out in the parking lot, I feel like has taken the user experience, you know, through the roof because they walk 10 feet out the door. They get their food from the food truck. The venue that we're at has a beautiful landscaping and and picnic tables. They grab a sandwich, they eat it, head right back in and plow through the rest of the show. So just things like that. Like it would have never occurred to me before I had the show. Like, you know, people might get hungry. (laughs) People don't really want to leave. And even the vendors, they don't want to have to get in their car and go because that's too far around their table. You know, usually in a vendor situation, you're telling your buddy like, hey, watch my table. I'll be right back. So super handy uh, for them as well, uh, as well to just walk out food truck. Boom. I know that's a simple thing, but that's something I would have never never crossed my mind about four shows in. I'm like, I need to feed these people. <laughs> it's an observation. I'm always making uh, every card show I, I go to. There's always one person behind the dealer table. And then there's a buddy going and grabbing a sandwich at Jimmy John's. And uh, it's always a team effort. So I love that food trucks. Um, maybe share your, I'd love to know, like, has there been like a, a paramount deal that has gone on or like when I say like what kind of deals have happened at your show, like cards exchange that stand out to you? Yeah. I mean, man, so I really try, and that's been the coolest thing about the growth of the show. Like we got really good dealers first time out, but the longer we do this, the farther the dealers are coming from, like we used to be a Southern Michigan, um, West Ohio, Northern Indiana show, right? Like, and that was a really good base of customers to pull from. But now where we're becoming a Chicago land, we get a ton of people that come down from Wisconsin. Um, and I feel like our front room has a Nats level feel to it. I would never ever in a thousand years compare a show to Nats, right? But just the feel of those top 10, 15 tables as far as high-end cards you can find about everything you want, right? Like there's Kobe rookies there. There's always Jordan 86 flares in different grades there. I see those bought um, at least once a show. I see a Jordan move. Um, a friend of mine sold uh, kind of in the height of the Tiger mania when Tiger Woods got really hot, sold an XBX. I think it was a PSA 9 or 10 um, rookie for 10 or 12,000 bucks. So 
you know, you see those kind of deals. And I'm proud of that, right? Like I want everything from a guy that's coming to look at dollar boxes to say, man, you had a ton of really good stuff in your dollar boxes to I want guys that come in for Chicago. Like I have that enough of that ego, right? That I want them to be like, man, who knew in the middle of Shipshawana, Indiana, you could find a you know 86 Flair Jordan rookie or a Kobe refractor or you know any of those type of cards. And we see a ton of really high end Herbert and Burrow type stuff as well. So yeah, we see, we see some pretty nice deals, but I don't want the show to be all about that either. I want it to appeal to you know the broad range of of people. Love it. Um, so let's talk about the show March 26. You mentioned trade night ahead of it. Maybe for anyone listening to this conversation that's looking to get out and get to a card show and wants to visit, like what what can they expect for Card Fest in March? Yeah, so March 26th, we'll have our next show. That's a pretty big break for us. Our last show was on November 6th. I did not, uh, you live in Indiana, you know how January and February can be here, right? Like I did not want to uh, dry get people. I didn't want to have five inches of snow the morning of the show and we get a third of the crowd we're supposed to. I wanted to play the weather pretty safe. Usually into March, you can kind of trust uh, in Indiana. So we, we pushed the show back a little. We'd normally do February. We pushed it to March and had to miss the Chicago Spectacular that's in the end of the month. But uh, so yeah, that's the next show coming up. We'll be promoting the heck out of it. It'll be our third trade night and our ninth or 10th show. I'd have to go back and count. Uh, trade night kind of came about in the last two or three shows. What we were finding is people were coming in the night before because they wanted to be there right when the show started. And sort of like Nats, these trade nights were organically happening uh, in these hotel lobbies. And the nice thing about Shipshawana is a tourist town. So there are some nice hotels in town, but I just thought, well, you know, instead of these guys five, six, eight guys standing around in a lobby. Why don't I just open up the venue the night before, offer beverages um, and invite them over. So like the first trade night we had was two shows ago. We had about 55, 60 people show up. So for like a local slash regional card show, like I was super happy with that. And then the next card, uh, the next one we had in November was our second trade night with show. And we, I think I had about 170, 180 people come. So I'd love to have about a 300 person trade night the night before the show. And I tell you what, man, like that is a, an amazing experience to really get to know someone. The The show can be, if you go to the page and see some of the crowds we get, it can be hustle and bustle the day of the show. And I would definitely tell anyone if you're coming for trade night, stay for the show because it's it's definitely the main event. But man, you really get to know people and have great conversations with people at that trade night. Uh, my goal is to keep making that a bigger and bigger event. It's absolutely free come in. Uh, my only request is that you don't carry in like nine showcases, right? Like I kind of want to keep kind of the spirit of a trade night. You can buy and sell, but I really want you to kind of bring in a couple shoe boxes or a couple four row boxes. I really don't want it to be out of control. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of fun with that. We're going to keep doing it. It's something I kind of had to be talked into. I was afraid it would take away from the show, uh, but it absolutely does the opposite. Like it brings people in the night before it gets them people from farther away to think, okay, if there's a trade night and a show, I'll drive five hours for that because I get that two experiences, not just that six hour show. So really looking forward to that. And then uh, with the show, you know, I've got 171 tables sold. The venue always asked me to stop at 165, but I have this habit. I'm kind of like the airlines. I overbook them in case someone drops out, which always happens, you know, COVID and uh, vacation plans. Someone forgets that spring break week for them, that kind of thing. So yeah, would love to see everyone, anyone come out. 
no matter where you live, trade night the night before on the 25th, show on the 26th. And um, if you ever want to look at some content about the show, if you just Google B Sports Shipshawana Card Show, uh, there's videos from guys like Ryan. There's one of one card shop came out to the last one, did a really nice video. A guy named Neo, Northeast Ohio, came out, did a really nice video on the show. So there's a lot of pickup videos and a lot of uh, videos out there uh, chasing the right price. Those guys have amazing production quality. They have a great video out there. So it can give you a flavor for the show if you're coming from far away. March 25th and 26th, 2022, put market on your calendars. Sounds like an absolute blast. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your thoughts. Before I let you go, Colts, Patriots, Saturday night, Lucas Oil, Indianapolis, what's your prediction? So, you know, the Patriots have our number. I think this is established. (laughs) I think this is established. But here's the deal. We can't lose this game because not only is the Patriots, it's an AFC conference record game, right? We're going to, there's so many teams at seven, six, seven, and seven. We can't lose this tiebreaker. That's putting us in the sixth seed right now. So I'm just saying, because we have to, we can't go to Arizona needing to win. You know, we need to be able to drop that Arizona game. We'd all feel more comfortable if we all won all four. Right. But I'm saying we win in like a 31 to 24 type game. Maybe Mac Jones shows us he really is a rookie and throws one to us late in the game. That's what I'm hoping for. Maybe that's hope more than confidence, but we just got to have it. We can't lose that game. I'll ride the hope train right with you as long as it means a Colts win and a Patriots loss. Everyone go check them out on Instagram at B Sports. Brad, we'll have to get you back on around showtime. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Brad is one of those good dudes in the hobby, and I love guys like him who are putting in work and watching stuff grow. Go check out that show, Ship Shawana. March 25th is the trade night, March 26th, 9 to 3. Make it to Indiana. It's going to be fun. I'm going to try to get there. Take care of yourself. Take care of other people around you, and I will be back with more Stacking Slabs next week. 